Hey, VFAM, welcome to Victory Church Online, Victory Church in your home, Victory Church on your phone. Hey, before we even get into the message this morning, I want to take a moment. I want to ask you this. Do you have a testimony? Do you have a testimony? Can you testify right now to something God has done in your life? And hey, if you can, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find the, the opportunity to be able to comment on this video and put that little praise hand emoticon. Let me see those. Just start putting them. If you've got a story in your life where God sets you free, where God restored you, where God puts your feet on solid ground, begin to put that a little emoticon right there in the comments. And let's praise God for the testimonies that he's done in our life. Yo, I hope you're ready this morning. I'm excited. I'm ready for this word. We have been in a series now for a couple of weeks called Pass the Podium. And this series has been about the idea of you and I stepping into the calling that God has on our lives. And, and there's really no better time than right now with what we're experiencing. More people are watching church than ever online. More people are interested in scriptures and what God's doing than ever before. And now is the time for all of us really to embrace the calling that God has on our life. And if you've been following for the past couple of weeks, we kind of started off with uh, just some simple techniques that you could apply to your life as you are accepting that calling and as you are stepping in the opportunities to share Christ with the people that are in your circle. We started off, first of all, by saying, hey, you need to commit your time. Right off the bat, you need to commit your time. Second, you need to commit to serving people before you're concerned with saving them. And so be ready to serve them before you can save them. And then we talked about committing to share your story. And then last week, Malcolm did a great job by reminding us three things, to be authentic, to be with God, that's really important, and then to be the hope for those that are around us. And so hopefully you've been taking notes, you've been putting down kind of the ways to, to not only be able to embrace the calling, but how to operate in that calling. And this morning, I want to talk to you about a thought, an idea. It's actually probably the most common thought and idea that I struggle with whenever I find myself about to really step into the callings that God has over my life. And we see it, we see a way that it's been being introduced in Ephesians chapter four. But we're going to start reading this morning in Ephesians chapter three and go to the ending of three and the beginning of four. And Paul says something that if you look at it and if you don't really take it the right way, it can cause kind of a, a hurdle for us when it comes to embracing our calling. So here, if you got your Bibles, Ephesians chapter three, uh, verse 17 is where we're going to stop. start. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along with us on the screen. It says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. So Paul's talking about as we're operating in our relationship with God and in our calling in God, uh, Christ will make his home in our hearts and we can trust in him. He says, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, watch this, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us through all generations or to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. 
Amen. And he ends chapter three on that note, right? He's setting up this uh, anticipation and the empowerment of how we can operate being in a relationship with God and being in the calling of God. And that's how he ends chapter three. And then watch how he starts chapter four. Therefore, I, talking about himself, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. So Paul, again, he's ending Ephesians 3 and he's 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 stating all of this empowerment, right? That we're going to be able to do immeasurably more if we operate in the calling of God, immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. That's how he, that's the high note that he leaves chapter 3 on. And he starts chapter 4 with this note, I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is how do we live a life worthy of our calling. So hey, do me a favor. Normally I would have you, I'm going to give you the title of the sermon. Normally I would have you screaming out and tell the people in the room. But last week, Malcolm had you put it in the comments and I thought that was really cool. So we're going to do that today. So listen, put the title of the sermon, what I'm about to tell you in the comments. You ready? Here we go. The title of the sermon is this, my calling is complicated. My calling is complicated. Again, Paul sets us up, right? With this idea that we are going to be empowered by God and that when we start to operate in the calling of God and we embrace the calling of God, we'll be able to see immeasurably more than we could ever ask or that we could ever imagine. And then he kind of slides in this thought of, but hey, I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling. And, and this is always where I, I often find myself being tripped up, that in the process of trying to embrace the calling that God has on my life. I find myself wondering if I'm worthy of the calling that God has on my life. It's almost like the second that I really step into it, I start to feel unqualified for it, right? You ever been there? You ever had that moment where you said, all right, I'm really going to do this. I'm, I'm going to embrace this relationship with Jesus. I'm going to embrace my testimony. I'm going to embrace this calling that he has on my life. And for some reason, as soon as we do that, here comes the enemy trying to remind us of, of our failures and our mistakes and makes us feel unqualified for what God is actually calling us to do. And maybe you're one of those people that are like, man, you know, if, you know, if I could just stop cussing or if I could stop smoking or if I could stop yelling at my kids or if I could stop eating ice cream at two o'clock in the morning and, and do something with myself, then, then and only then can God use me. And it's like, for some reason, we think that God can only use the perfect version of us or better yet, the wishful version of us or better than that, the impossible version of us. And I've just really been studying now recently, the more and more that we talk about passing the podium and the more and more we talk about you and I picking up that podium and operating in our calling and sharing the gospel with those that are in our circle. I've really been processing, how do we do that? How, how do we... How do we feel like we're worthy of our calling in spite of our past mistakes? And I think there's actually probably no better person that we could look at than Peter in the Bible. I mean, depending on what part of the Bible you're reading, it, it will decide the interpretation that you have of Peter. 
I mean, you could be reading one point where he is preaching after Pentecost and seeing thousands of people come to know Jesus, or 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 you could be reading a part where uh, he's in he's in a garden with Jesus and he cuts off a guy's ear. You you could be reading where he's doing this miracle of walking on water, or you could be reading where he's telling Jesus that he can't get on the cross, and therefore Jesus looks at him and says, "Get behind me, Satan." I mean, it really doesn't matter. Depending on what part you jump into the life of Peter, you could even see failure or success. You could see somebody who seems worthy of the calling of God and someone who seems not worthy of the calling of God. So, so how do we do that? I feel like we could look just a couple, just at a couple things today in the life of Peter, and I feel like we could learn two lessons that'll really help you and I feel worthy of our calling in spite of, watch this, not only our past failures, but our future failures, right? A lot of us have a past that we're not proud of, but there's going to be mistakes we make in the future. And what I love is in that conversation when Jesus had with Peter, he said, you're going to deny me. It's not that, hey, you these past failures, but he said, yeah, you're going to fail in the future. But despite those failures, there are ways for you to be worthy of my calling. And so let's talk about that just for a moment this morning. I want to give you two lessons. The first lesson is this. If we're going to be worthy of the calling of God in our life, in spite of our past failures and in spite of our future failures. Number one is this, we have to stop skipping scenes. We have to stop skipping scenes. If, if you've been around church at all, really, there, there's, there's kind of a couple stories in the Bible that become very popular. Matter of fact, people who, who go to church once or twice their entire life have heard. You know, you've got David and Goliath. A lot of people have heard of that. Obviously, Jesus' death and resurrection. But another popular story is the story of Peter walking on water. In the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew gives this account, and I'll just kind of give it to you real quickly, where the disciples are on the boat, and they're on a boat, and they're in the water, and a storm's coming up, and, and Jesus comes out walking on the water. And as Jesus is walking to the boat, Peter says to Jesus, hey, if you'll call me out, if it's you, then ask me to come walk on water and and then I'll do it. And Jesus says, all right, come on. And the Bible says that Peter gets up out of the boat and he begins to walk on water. But as he's walking on the water, he starts to look at a storm and he takes his eyes off Jesus. And the Bible says he begins to sink and Jesus has to get him out of the water and so on. So that's what you read in Matthew. But recently I was reading in the book of Mark And when I was reading the same story in the book of Mark, as I'm reading it, I realized, hey, there's a couple of scenes that seem to have been skipped. So let's read this together. Again, it's in the book of Mark, chapter 6. We're going to read verses 47 through 51. And it says this, Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land, that being Jesus. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. So Jesus is walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him, the disciples walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. And immediately he spoke to them and he said, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down and they were completely amazed. Now, I don't know about you, but when you read that, did you see the scenes that were skipped? I mean, we saw the disciples were on the boat. We saw that Jesus was walking on the water. We saw that they saw Jesus. But where is the part where Peter says to Jesus, hey, call me and I'll come out and walk on the water? That part's not included. Why why would that part be in Matthew, but not be in the book of Mark? 
Well, here's the interesting thing about the book of Mark. So the author is a man by the name of Mark. But what was happening in that time is Peter was getting old and people were saying, hey, Peter, we really want you to put onto paper all of the stories and the experiences that you had with Jesus and all the times you were preaching. We really want you to put that together so that we can read it and so that other people can read it. And so Peter asked his mentoree, Mark, to be the ghostwriter, right? So Mark would write it, but Peter would be the one telling the stories. So when you read Mark, what you're really reading is Peter's perspective of what happened. So here's what's interesting, is that Peter decided to skip the scene of him walking on water. Now, now why would he do that, right? I don't know about you, or but, but if, if there's ever a moment in my life where I walk on water, everyone's going to hear about it. It's going to be on Instagram. It's going to be on Facebook. I don't even know what TikTok is, but it's going to be on TikTok. Like it's, it's going to be the, the, the most uh, popular thing on all social. My wife's going to know about it. My kids are going to know about it because I walked on water. I've tried before. It's never succeeded. So if he was able to do this, why wouldn't he tell the world? And here's why. Because the way Peter saw it, he did walk on water, but he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. And the way Peter saw it, he failed. And so for him, it was a scene in his life that honestly, he would have rather left out. So let me ask you this question. If you and I are going to work, for, work toward being worthy of the calling of God, when it comes to being worthy of the calling of God, who gets, who gets to decide which scenes are left out? And who gets to decide which scenes stay in? You know, recently I was I was wanting to watch a movie and the movie wasn't on Netflix or anything. So I went and got the DVD of it, bought the DVD, came home, watched it. And as I put the DVD into the, into the DVD player, all these features popped up. And there's a couple of really cool features that happen with DVDs that you don't get on Netflix or Hulu. And one of those features is you can get deleted scenes, right? So, so what's happened is they filmed this movie and then they went back and said, hey, this scene and that scene, it's not really significant to the story. So we'll take it out and we won't include it in the final product. So they filmed it. It happened. The actors were there. At some point, they thought it made sense to the story. But they decided once it was all over that they didn't like that scene. And so they said, let's just pull that scene out and let's put it aside and let's delete it. Now, look, I don't know about you, but there are a lot of scenes in my life that I wish I could delete, right? When I look back over the past 37 years of my life, and I'm looking at it so much as a, a movie in, in progress, there are a lot of scenes that I wish I could just pick out and not use. I think back to high school and me and Pastor Brian and some of the dumb things that we did. I wish some of those scenes could be plucked out. I look into you know the early years of my marriage and just some of the dumb fights we had or dumb mistakes that I made as a husband. And I wish we could just pluck some of those scenes out. There are scenes where I'm yelling at my kids and where I've done things that I wish I could just pluck out. Something I wanted to just be honest with you, something just happened recently a couple days ago. We've been quarantined with our kids just like you have. And, and it's been uh, a blessing. And I, Veda was asking a bunch of questions and it was starting to get to a point where it was, it was getting on my nerves. And, and she asked one more question. And I remember I yelled at her. And then once she asked her question, it was, hey, would you come watch this movie with me? And I felt so bad because I yelled at her and all she was asking was, will you come spend some time with me? That would be a scene 
that I wish I could just delete, right? We all have those scenes. There's all times in our life where when we step back and we look and we start considering ourselves as being someone who's been called by God, there are all kinds of scenes that we wish we could delete. But hey, let me set you free on something real quick. Every hero in the Bible dealt with the same mistakes and the same failures that we do, yet they're left in the Bible. That's one thing that I think is so cool about Christianity, I think is so cool about Scripture, is that you got people like David and Joseph and Peter and Paul and these incredible men of God, and yet you still get to see all of their mistakes and all of their failures. Hear me, what, what if we're not supposed to skip these scenes? What if we're not supposed to delete these scenes? What if there's a purpose to every mistake and every failure? What if God isn't so much ashamed of it as much as he wants to use it? I'll give you an example of what happened to me. Some of you have heard this story, but when I was dating Darla, I really, really wanted to impress her. And Darla was very athletic and her entire family is very athletic. And so we were at the lake one weekend and I was trying to find different ways to be creative and to kind of show Darla that I was athletic and that, you know, she, that I deserved to be her boyfriend and all this kind of stuff. And so we get on this boat and we get out into the lake. And now we're in the boat with her dad, her mom, her brother, his girlfriend. And her brother is a real strong guy, real athletic guy. And we get near this cliff and everybody's, you know, they're, they're cliff jumping. They're jumping off the cliff. And so I see an opportunity to be able to impress Darla. And I say, hey, I'm going to go jump off this cliff. And as soon as I say that, Darla's brother just jumps out of the boat and begins to swim to the cliff. Now, first of all, that's not what I meant. I, I didn't mean that I would swim to the cliff and then jump off of it. I meant you take me by boat to land and then I'll walk up the cliff and then I'll jump off of it. But hey, what are you going to do? So I jumped out of the boat, swam, followed him realized as I'm swimming behind him that what we're going to do is we're going to swim to the bottom of the cliff and then we're going to climb up the cliff before we jump off of it. Who does that? Who climbs up a cliff just to jump off of it? And so I'm climbing. I almost fell like three or four times, almost died. Finally, we get to the top of the cliff and we're up there and I'm looking down. And it's got to be 30, 40 feet down and I am just scared to death. There's no way I'm about to do this. And so I, I, there's a line of people. And so her brother gets in the back of the line. And I get to this point where I'm like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm just going to have to close my eyes and do this. And so I don't even get in line. I just take off running and I just jump, eyes closed, jumped off the cliff. And now I'm in the air. And honestly, it was seconds, but it felt like hours. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, now I've done this. I've jumped off the cliff, but what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to land? And if, if you've ever done it before, the smart thing is to do the whole toothpick. But I panicked. And so I went to the very original, normal concept that I go to when I jump into a pool. I went cannonball, baby. And so I cannonballed right into the lake. And you can imagine how painful that was. And I remember just floating in the water as Darla's parents pulled up on the boat to get me. And, and it's, to this day, we laugh about it because it's probably one of the most epic fails that I've ever had when it came to proving that I was worthy of being Darla's boyfriend, right? It was an epic fail. But you know what? I learned a lot of lessons from it. I learned how to jump off a cliff. I learned to never do anything that her brother does to try to impress Darla. And you know what? I even learned that I have to be myself, that I can't be somebody else. 
So even though it was an epic fail, there was a lot of lessons that I learned in the process. Hear me right now. If we aren't careful and we focus too much on forgetting our failures, then we'll end up losing the lessons. If our goal is just to forget the failures, then all of the lessons that we learned through the mistakes, through the failures, we'll lose those too. If we leave out the mistake, if we skip the scene, we leave out the lesson. And so what we need to stop doing is skipping all of the scenes that we think makes us not worthy of the calling of God and instead embrace those things and understanding that when I embrace my weakness, it becomes my strength. And so here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, hey, be patient with other people's failures. You know why? Because you have failed too. Right there, Paul is saying, look, your failures and your mistakes are not the reason you're worthy of God's calling. Matter of fact, be patient with people who do make a mistake. Be patient with people who do fail. And here's why. Because you have done it too, right? If we start to focus too much on forgetting our failures, then we'll also lose the lessons. See what I mean? If we focus too much of our attention on forgetting our mistakes and forgetting our past failures, then we will leave out all of the lessons that we learned in the process. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, after he says in 1, I beg you to live a life worthy of the calling of God. Then he says in verse 2, watch this. Here's how you do that. Be humble and gentle. Be humble. Why am I humble? Because I'm admitting that I make mistakes, right? I'm admitting that I make that I have failed. Be patient with each other by making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Be patient with other people. Here's what he's saying. He's saying when it comes to people's failures and when it comes to people's mistakes, hey, be patient with them. You know why? Because you and I have had failures and you and I have made mistakes. Listen to me. You won't be able to have patience with other people's mistakes until you come to terms with yours. Once we come to terms with our mistakes and our failures, once we can admit they happened, but they don't identify who we are, then we can have patience, as Paul is saying, with other people when they make mistakes and when they fail. Allowance out of love. Give it out of love, out of the fact that, hey, I've been there before, right? There's times where Casey Ray and Veda will get to fighting, and Veda's 10 and Casey Ray's 5. And Casey Ray will do something that'll make Veda mad. And I'll tell her, I say, hey, you got to remember, she's five years old. And then I'll tell Veda this. And, and you've probably been told this before as a kid. Hey, there was a time when you were five as well, right? We've always been told that about our younger siblings, right? And here's what mom and dad are really saying. There was a time when you did those dumb things too. So you need to have a little bit of grace. You won't be able to have patience for other people's mistakes until you come to terms with yours. Listen to this. You ready? If you will set yourself free, then you can set others free. If you will set yourself free, hey, I made some mistakes. I'm, I've had some failures. They happened, but they're not my story. They're not the ending of my story. If you can set yourself free, you can start setting other people free. So in order for us to feel worthy of the calling of God on our life, number one, we have to stop skipping scenes. We have to let those scenes, those scenes can't be deleted. Because if you delete the scenes, you might delete the lessons. Keep the scenes and let God use them. Number two is this. Number one, stop skipping scenes. Number two, don't ruin the ending. Don't ruin the ending. Another feature that comes on DVDs, you have deleted scenes. But another feature is alternate endings. 
And what these are is the director, they, you know, they had these different endings. They, they filmed the whole movie and the movie ended this way. And then they said, hey, we could also try this ending. And then what it allows us to do as viewers is we get to pick which ending we liked better. Which, if you think about it, is exactly what Peter was doing, right? So, so Peter sits down to talk with Mark, and he's going through this story, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, man, I got in the boat and I walked on water." And Mark's like, "You got to use that. You got to put that in this book." And Peter goes, "No, I'd rather not use that ending, because according to Peter, in that ending, he failed. In that ending, that was one of his epic fails, one of his mistakes. So he would choose an alternate ending." I think so many of us, there's times in our life where we wish we could choose an alternate ending, right? We wish it didn't end with addiction. We wish it didn't end with death. We wish it didn't end with divorce. And, and if we could do anything, we would just choose an alternate ending. There's a lot of times where we forget things that have happened in our past because, again, we want to pretend like it ended differently, right? And, and I think what Peter need to understand and what you and I need to understand is that our failures are not final. Now, listen, I know you've heard that before in a different context, but here's the context I'm introducing it to you this morning, is that when it comes to the story of your life, your failures are not the ending, right? There's a different ending. And the reason why you can't skip scenes is because if you skip scenes, you'll ruin the ending. Let me show you what I'm talking about. When you read about this in the book of Matthew, watch this, Matthew chapter 14, verses 28 through 32, it says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, this is Peter's moment, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out of his, reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. See, when you first read that, if you're not careful, you think that the ending of that paragraph, the ending of that story is Peter failing. But there's a very important verse and some very important words that you have to see right there to understand that the ending was not Peter's failure. The focus of the story was something else. Watch this. It's the very last verse, verse 32. And when they climbed into the boat. All right, now rewind for a second. It says when they climbed in the boat. Now remember, none of the disciples got out of the boat, which means if Peter was just getting back in it, it would have said when he climbed back in the boat. But the reason it says they is because Jesus got into the boat with him. So hear what I'm saying. The ending of the story, right? The whole ending, the climax moment is not Peter's failure. It's God's favor. It's Jesus getting back in the boat with him. We've got to hear this. Whether or not we're worthy of God's calling on our life is not determined by our perfection. It's determined by his perfection, right? It's not about who we are not. It's about who he is. The reason why Peter shouldn't have skipped any scenes is because Jesus getting in the boat with Peter has way more meaning when you know that Peter has failed trying to get out of it, right? Think about it. How much more meaning does, does the concept of Christ's um, salvation and Christ's death for us mean when you know we failed trying to do it on our own? And that's why we, we must be careful not to skip scenes. Because if we skip scenes, we could risk ruining the ending. 
Listen, you've got to hear my heart for you this morning. And I hope you're getting this word because I know it's in me and I hope it's coming across to you. You being worthy of God's calling on your life is not about whether or not you failed in the past. And it's not going to be about whether or not you failed in the future. The, the whole point of it is about that you are following God and it's God's favor on your life. And it's the fact that he wants to do it with you. Let, let, let me be able to end it like this with an illustration and then I'll show you one more verse and we'll pray. A friend of mine was telling me this illustration that he had heard from another sermon that was kind of similar to what I'm talking about this morning and it was too good for me to not share. The, the context was being at a barbecue and I know we've all been at barbecues. Maybe you were there for a, a football game or maybe it was a pool party or whatever the concept was. But at a barbecue, you normally have three groups of people. You got the grill master, right? There's always some guy who his job is, he, he's the best griller there. So his job is to cook. Then you've got everybody else who is just there to hang out and eat. And so they're normally inside watching the game or they're outside by the pool or whatever it might be. And then you've got kids, right? And they're just kind of running around and playing. And so in the illustration, it says this, if you notice, once it's time, once the food is ready, the grill master starts just by grabbing whoever's closest to him. Most of the time, it's a kid. He just says, hey, come here for a second. He doesn't ask for the, for the kid to fill out a resume. He doesn't go through the kid's life and whether or not he has succeeded at this or failed at that. He just grabs the kid who's closest to him and says, come here. And he tells him, go tell everybody the food is ready. So that kid just says, okay. You know, the kid doesn't try to do anything to make himself worthy of this responsibility. He just nods his head and then he runs into the house and here's all of these adults, everybody's hanging out and he runs in and says, hey everybody, the food is ready. And everybody stands up with excitement and nobody says, well, I don't know if we could trust him. You've seen what he's done in the past. Nobody starts assessing, you know, the kids' applications or resumes or, or whether the kid's worthy. They simply hear the message that the food is ready and they all rush out to eat. Now, come on, you got to hear this. Again, it has nothing to do with the kid. It's about the fact that the food is ready. The weight of it is not in whose mouth it's coming out of. The weight is in the message. The gospel, it doesn't matter whose mouth it's coming out of. The weight of the gospel is in the message, right? God, the grill master, gives us the gospel. He gives us the message. And it doesn't matter what we've been through. It doesn't matter if we failed. It doesn't matter if we've made mistakes. We just go and share the message. What's the message? Is that Jesus saves. That's the message. And the weight that comes with it is not whose mouth it's coming out of. The weight that comes with it is the power behind the message. People want to hear it. They've been waiting. They've been anticipating for something that would take away their anxiety, something that would take away their depression, something that would restore things in their life and deliver them and set them free. That's the message they've been waiting on. So it doesn't matter who's telling them. They've been waiting. And so as soon as we walk in with the message, hey, Jesus saves. Nobody's concerned with, well, did you see what they did in second grade? Nobody cares. It's the message that carries the weight. We've got to understand that, that the calling on our life is to share the gospel. The calling on our life is to tell people about Jesus. And we have to quit worrying about whether or not we're worthy enough to do that. We're worthy because God's called us. Our worthiness is not in our perfection, but it's in his perfection. Now here, let me just tell you this and we'll get ready to close. 
all of our past mistakes, all of our past failures, all of our future mistakes and our future failures, they don't, they end up being icing on the cake when it comes to the gospel. And let me show you what I mean by that. There's a verse in Ephesians out of Paul's mouth that I'm going to read it to you. Then I want to break it down because it's so powerful. Ephesians chapter five, verse 13. It says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Now, now, now let, me, let me break this down for you. First of all, everything exposed by light becomes visible. Okay, understand something. The moment we step into the calling that God has in our life, the moment we step into that calling, all of our flaws become visible. The moment we accept the opportunity to share the message of Jesus Christ, every mistake we've ever made becomes available for anybody to see. It becomes visible, right? So, so you have to understand that, that if you're going to accept the calling God has in your life, you're going to have to embrace the weaknesses in your life. They become visible. And I understand that sometimes that's the reason why we hesitate to actually embrace the calling on our life because we're worried about what will happen when everybody finds this out about me. But here's what's so powerful about it. Paul didn't leave it there. He said, listen, when, you know, whenever you step into that calling, everything about you will become visible. Watch what he says. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. So watch this. Everything that became visible Every flaw, every mistake, uh, every failure, everything that became visible, everything that became illuminated is now a light, right? Every past becomes a testimony. A every failure becomes a message. A every flaw becomes something that God can use to impact somebody's life. So yes, when you step into the calling of God, everything about your life becomes visible. Every flaw, every mistake, every failure becomes, it comes to the forefront. It's visible, but God takes it. God is not ashamed of it. God doesn't panic about it. It's not like God doesn't know what to do with it. God takes it, turns around and illuminates it and uses it as light to be able to put weight behind the gospel, to make it real and to make it be able to touch people's hearts so they will turn from their wicked ways and turn to Jesus. God uses every one of our weaknesses and every one of our failures to impact somebody else to come to know Jesus. That's why we can't skip scenes. We can't sit back and delete things from our, well, I didn't like that. I wish this wouldn't have happened. No, no, you can't skip those scenes because God wants to use them. And if you skip them, you'll lose the lesson. And so God uses it and he illuminates it and it becomes a light. And if you're so worried about removing those flaws and those mistakes, you might mess up and ruin the ending because the ending carries so much more weight when we understand that Jesus loves us even though we've made mistakes, even though we've failed. It's an incredible thing to think about. And I just want to take a moment. I want to pray with you. I want to talk specifically to two different groups of people. Number one are those of you that you, you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you've been hesitant to accept and embrace the calling that God has on your life because of some things that you thought might be illuminated because of some past mistakes and some past failures or, or even the fear of well, what if I mess up in the future? What if I fail in the future? And I want to just tell you this morning, I want to empower you. Operate in the calling that God has on your life. Move forward because God wants to use the story of your life as a testimony to impact and change the people that are around you.
right now, if you're not sharing your testimony, listen, there's somebody out there depending on you to be able to hear your testimony so that their eyes can be open and illumination can happen and they themselves can come to know Jesus. So right now, look, grab a notebook, start writing down your testimony, practice it, figure it out. Be ready to share it on Facebook. Be ready to share it on Instagram. Be ready if you go back to work to share it with your coworkers, to share it with your neighbors. Be ready to share your entire story, the bad and the good. Let God illuminate it so that he can use it as a light to impact those around you. Second, or those of you that are listening, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you don't have a relationship with Christ, but this is the first time you've really ever heard Christ communicated this way, that even though you've failed before and even though you've made mistakes before, Christ loves you even though he loves you through it and he wants to redeem it and use it to impact other people around you. And I want to encourage you this morning, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. So that's just you believing and then saying with your mouth, I believe Jesus died for my sins. You can have the salvation that comes only through Jesus. And salvation, it's just, it's that. It's a gift. You accept it and you have it. And then as you begin to follow Jesus, sanctification happens. And you begin to walk with God. And God begins to influence and impact the way that you see and operate in life. And we want to do that walk with you. And there's a couple of ways that we could do that. One is there's going to be a number on the screen. If you would text VICTORY18 to that number, It'll send you just a little connection card. You can fill it out. It'll send it to us and we can contact you, pray with you, uh, be able to answer any questions, walk with you, uh, help disciple you through this process and through the decision to have a relationship with Jesus. Another way is just to make a comment right here on Facebook, right here on the comment section and just say, hey, I'd like to accept Jesus as my savior. Give us the little praying hands. Give us whatever. Just let us know that you want to be able to make that decision and we'd be able to contact you and again, answer questions and walk with you. It's such an incredible uh, life change when you accept Jesus as your Savior. I think a lot of us have been taught that what we don't want to do is when we draw near to Jesus, right, everything that's bad about us is going to come to the forefront. That's not what it's about. It's about Jesus not only forgiving us for that, but redeeming it and using it to be able to impact the lives of so many others. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you right now. For your word, we thank you for it still being alive and operating and working and moving. We thank you that you can take our stories, our failures, our mistakes, our past, and you can illuminate it and you can turn around and use it as a light to other people. I pray right now for every person that li that's listening, Lord, the person that's meeting you for the first time, learning about you for the first time, that you would draw their heart to you. For those who have given their heart to you and they've been following you as a Christian, but they've always been a little bit timid to share their story. They've always doubted that you really wanted to use them because of their past or because of mistakes they've made. And you're telling them right now this morning that you not only, not only do you know about that, but you want to use it in the story to illuminate and bring light to other people. Father, we thank you. We thank you that your word is alive. We thank you that you're using us right now, that you've surrounded people, you've put people around us in our lives so that we can impact, so that the things that we've been through, the mistakes we've made, we could use to impact other people. So Father, be with us this week. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.